This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Good morning. Um, I'm Claire, married to Owen. We are the lead pastors here. Um, if you've started to come into Seven in the last few months, I might not have actually met you yet um, because we've been on sabbatical. Uh, we had three months um, that we took off to step back and to reflect and to reset, really. And um, we did a variety of things in that time. But one of the things we had the pleasure of doing is that we had the pleasure of two two children in our household sitting important exams, A-levels and GCSEs in one year. And to be fair, although these times for parents and teenagers alike are notorious for being very stressful and tense, both our boys did manage to, take, to handle it pretty well and take it in their stride. But one memory particularly sticks out for me during that time, I know, and I'm sure you'll remember this, um, was the night before our son Daniel took his first GCSE. It was biology. And I spent some time that evening going over his flashcards with him. Everything he needed to know was on those flashcards, and he knew it all. I was really impressed. And um, I remember saying to you, Owen, I said, uh, I think it's going to be okay. You know, he knows it all. He's done really well. So it was 9.30, off. Daniel goes up to bed for an early night, confident that he has it in the bag. At 10.45, when Owen and I are going upstairs to bed, we're surprised to see Daniel's light still on in his bedroom. And so we popped in to say goodnight, only to find him uh, at his desk with a look on his face I rarely see but will never forget. He looked like a rabbit in headlights. Um, He barely looked up to speak to us because he couldn't take his eyes off his paper and what he was reading. And he just managed a few brief words to explain that whilst he had covered all this information that's going to be in the exams that was in this box... He'd failed to notice this other box of information that might be in the exam. Have you ever felt like that yourself? Where you had that feeling where I've got it all sewn up and then realise you really haven't. Poor lad, we so felt for him. Luckily, I can say that despite all that, Dad actually did really well. But do you know that feeling? Or let me put it another way, as a young physiotherapist in my 20s, just fresh out of university in my first job as a junior physio at the Basingstoke and North Hampshire Hospital, life felt very simple. I'd got my degree. I was now qualified. I could do this stuff. I had it. But it was only as I continued to meet with other physios who had been doing it for many more more years than me, that I began to realise there was so much more that I didn't know. The more I began to pick up and learn, the more I knew, the more I realised I didn't know. Do you know what I mean? Have you experienced that? Blissful ignorance is actually a wonderful place to be. But this is one way that I could describe my journey of faith over my life. 
I wonder if you remember those little sticky shapes that maybe you got at school. Um, this was the day before actual stickers. And um, they were the kind of those little different shapes that had glue on the back and they came in different colours and you had to stick them to um, make them stick and you could make collages out of them. And at our school, they had some really lovely red star shape stickers. And these were actually really hard to come by. So one day I decided I would steal these stickers and take them home with me. So it's terrible, isn't it? Um, I was about six or seven. But I remember very clearly after church one morning, um, my mum was cooking the Sunday dinner and I was in tears because I felt so guilty that I'd stolen these stickers. And I remember my mum explaining to me, it was so clear, that I didn't need to feel guilty anymore because Jesus had died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. Immediately I got it. I understood something of God and I carried that with me throughout my childhood and my teenage years and through the support of some great people um, leading the youth group that I attended, I continued adding along the way to my understanding of who God is. And I thought I had it all sewn up. Over the years, I've regularly enjoyed sharing Jesus with people, friends who um, don't know him, but also random strangers on the streets when we've gone out in groups to pray with people. And to do that, being in those slightly odd situations, I made sure that I had finally honed down what I thought the gospel was what the good news about Jesus is, how I would explain it with my best illustrations and carefully chosen words so that what I said was logical and made sense. I had it all sewn up. But in recent years, in my desire to know God better and experience more of him, I have read more. I have listened more and I've talked with others more. A bit, and, um, a bit like when I was that young physio, I've begun to realise there's so much more that I don't know. I've begun to realise that some things aren't quite as black and white as, what, as I once thought. That maybe things aren't so simple, but a bit, little bit more complex. That maybe there's a different way to look at things from what I thought and sometimes that's made me feel a little unsettled, like my son Daniel before his exam. But mostly it makes me feel excited. There's a podcast I've come across by Danielle Strickland, which I would highly recommend. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with everything that they discuss. You'd have to decide that for yourself. But Danielle is a well-respected author and speaker. And on her podcast, she invites various guests on to discuss fun and tricky topics about who God is and what he's like. The podcast is called Mind Blown, and I can certainly resonate with that title. As I have begun to unpick some of what I thought I had all sewn up, it has blown me away. Rather than taking away from my view of God... It has actually made God appear bigger, more beautiful and better than I have ever imagined. He blows me away. With every new perspective, 
I want to find out what else could I rethink through? What else have I missed the point on? And believe God to be something or someone that is not. So let me give you an example. As far back as I can remember, I thought that because God is so holy that he cannot look on sin, he had abandoned Jesus on the cross. That in Jesus' darkest hour, God had forsaken him. After all, those are the words that Jesus is recorded to have spoken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At face value, it feels very clear. I didn't realize that quite possibly Jesus was reciting the words from the well-known Psalm 22. I didn't realize that the psalm begins with the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But continues to say in verse 24, God has not turned his face away, but has listened to his cry for help. I didn't realize that this psalm was possibly a prophecy about the coming Messiah and that Jesus might have been using it to alert those around him to the fact that he was indeed the Messiah they were longing for. Whether God did or did not abandon Jesus on the cross affects my view of who God is and what he's like. I spoke on this last year on the 7th of November. A talk was called Why Does God Feel Distant? And I'd really recommend you have a listen to it if you'd like to. It's on our website. So I've been on a journey of rediscovery over these last few years. And during my sabbatical, I've had the opportunity to take a deeper dive into some of this stuff. I've been doing some directed study with a great guy called Steve Burnhope. He and his wife, Lynn, led Aylesbury Vineyard for a number of years. Um, But he's also a professor in theology, and he specializes in atonement, so how we are made one with God, and biblical interpretation. And so I'm going to be sharing some of what I've been learning with you over these coming months. Now, maybe you're in the same situation yourself, where you're asking questions maybe rethinking some of these things that you've previously understood. It may be that you're observing someone you know going through this process. Or maybe you've always had questions that have never quite made sense or tallied up with a God of love. But why does it matter what we think about God? Surely what we think about him doesn't actually change who he is. So why does it matter what we think about who he is? What we think about what he's like? What we think about his character and his nature? Why does it matter? Well, I'd like to suggest it matters because what we think about God changes nothing about who he is, but changes a great deal about who we are. And I think Jesus thought it mattered too, so much so that he told a parable about it. And we're going to look at that right now. So a parable is kind of teaching story, as you're probably aware. Most people couldn't read or write in those days. So teaching through stories that people could easily remember was really important. And the one that we're going to look at today is from Matthew's Gospel. Jesus had just told his disciples he will be leaving them soon. And then he proceeds to tell them this very last parable. 
It's a parable about a master leaving to go on a journey. And it's commonly known as the parable of the talents. Now, just to be clear, in biblical times, a talent wasn't a skill or an ability. A talent was a measure or a quantity, a certain amount of something valuable like silver or gold. So in the version that we're going to be reading from, it's the NIV, and it's known as the parable of the bags of gold. So it's Matthew 25, verse 14. So the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who causes servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We'll get onto that bit in a minute. <laughs> so... Before the man goes on his journey, he calls his servants to him and he entrusts his wealth to them. In other words, he wants them to look after his business when he's gone. And in verse 15, it says that he gave to each one according to their ability. So this is not favoritism. It's according to their ability. So the master only asks each servant to take responsibility for that much of the business that they can cope with. The master wasn't asking more of them than they could manage. So one servant is given quite a big share in the master's business to look after five bags of gold, and he becomes an investor. He gets to work on his master's business. He's not passive. He doesn't sit around and do nothing. He gets on with it. And because he's got involved and invested, there's lots of fruit. Not only has he looked after what he was given, he's doubled it. And so too the second servant. He was given a smaller share of the responsibilities. 
He was asked to look after a bit less of the business, but he's invested too, and he's doubled his share as well. And the master says to each of them, well done, good and faithful servant. So finally, the third servant. Remember, Jesus is trying to make a point here. It's a bit like telling a joke. Both the first two servants act in exactly the same way. The response to each is exactly the same. But the third servant acts differently. This is what he says. Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So the two servants, the first two servants, invest what the master's given them to look after, and the third servant buries it in the ground. And the reason he does this is because he has completely misunderstood what the master is like, the kind of person he is. What he believes about his master affects how he behaves. He says, I knew you were a hard man, so I was afraid. He was afraid of his master. He was afraid to make a mistake. He was afraid to take risks, and so he played it safe. He let fear stop him doing something that he was actually capable of. Remember, each was, a giver, each was given according to their ability. And like the other two servants who felt free to take risks, the third servant buried it and did nothing. Because he misunderstood what his master was like, fear got the better of him. Now, there's a fear of God that's healthy. Having an awe and respect for God, the creator of the universe through whom all things are held together and have their being, that's healthy. But there's a fear of God that is very unhealthy. The Apostle John says in one of his letters, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And then later he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Having a relationship with God as our Father that, that's defined by fear is never what God intended. He causes his children, he lavishes us with love, and his love drives out fear. What the servant believes about his master not only affects how he behaves, it also affects how he relates to his master. The, ser the third servant, in contrast to the other two, acts in a cold and businesslike way. If he wasn't willing to take a risk and invest the money, he could have at least put the money on deposit with the bankers where it could have gained interest, but he didn't even bother to do that. And the master calls out his laziness. The servant clearly doesn't like the master and he does the bare minimum that he thinks will be just enough to get him over the line. And notice his response. See, here is what belongs to you. There's a disconnect. There's no ownership over what's been entrusted to him. This money belongs to the master, has always belonged to the master, and is being returned to the master. He's cold and businesslike. But let's look again at how the other two responded. You entrusted me with gold. See, I have gained more. 
These two servants knew that they had been trusted. You know, trust and love are clearly linked, closely linked. In the well-known passage on love that was often read out uh, at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, there's one phrase that stood out to me recently, and that's love always trusts. Just think about that for a moment. Love always trusts. When trust is an expression of love, it's like saying, I believe in you and I'm going to take a risk on you even if it costs me something because this is about you and not me and that's love. And I think the first two servants felt some of that, that they felt believed in, they felt trusted, they received that love and they were empowered and so the way they responded, the way they related to their master was one of faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. There's joy in the exchange between the two of them. I will give you more. Come and share in my happiness. So different to the third servant. The sad thing is, the third servant was also entrusted with gold. He was also loved upon, but his belief about who his master was meant he just couldn't see it. His belief about his master means he misses out on so much. Now, it's important to remember that this is a teaching story with a deeper meaning, but that doesn't mean that Jesus en endorses all of the attitudes and behaviors and characters and events of every story. Any more than if I used a popular film or TV um, drama to, as an illustration today. Illustrations, metaphors and images can be helpful, but when taken too far, they can become false. For example, Jesus being the Lamb of God. That communicates something about who Jesus is, but Jesus is clearly not a cuddly lamb sat on God's knee. That would be taking the illustration too far. So with that in mind, let's look at the end of the story. <clears throat> Verse 28 says, So take the bag of gold for him, from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I don't know what Jesus meant by outside into the darkness. Maybe we're not supposed to know exactly. I don't think it's a place called hell. That would be taking the illustration too far. But clearly, it's a place characterized by regret. And it's a place of exclusion where one servant is left out. Left out of the happiness that the master and other servants are enjoying inside. So... Back to the question, why does it matter what we think about who God is and what he's like? Well, I think Jesus thought it mattered, and that's why he told this story. In John 10, he says, I have come that you might have life in all its fullness. That's his desire for us. That by knowing who God is and what he's like, his nature and his character, we would know that, just like those first two servants, that we are loved, 
that we are trusted, believed in, that we're free and we can live without fear, that we could know the joy of sharing in all that God has. So I wanted to take a moment just to reflect on this right now, personally, each of us. What do you, who do you think God is? And what do you think he's like? Now, it's not a test. It's not about getting it right or wrong. God's not going to get angry with you like the master in the story did with the third servant. That's not the point of the story. The point is that God longs for you and me to know him, to understand who he is, because he knows what that means for us. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks his disciples the same question. He says, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies to him, he said, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You see, this doesn't have to be difficult. God wants to reveal himself to us if we let him. And Jesus promised many times that the Holy Spirit would be with us. He called him the spirit of truth. In John 16, Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So I just want to take a couple of moments now just to connect with God on this. You might want to close your eyes and I'm just going to give you a couple of things to consider with God right now. He's here with us in this room. And just like Jesus asked his disciples, just imagine God stood in front of you now. And he's saying to you, who do you say I am? And just take a moment just to be honest with him. Remember, God's not actually the master in the story. He's the God who wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to connect with you. And he loves it when you're real. And if you're thinking something that might be negative then that's okay. Think about why that might be and just take a moment to talk with God about that and offer it to him. So who do you say I am? I'll give you a couple of minutes for that.
secondly, let's take a moment to invite God to reveal himself afresh to us right now in this moment. Over the course of this day, throughout our next week, over the coming months, let's ask him to do what he says he will do. Spirit of God, we invite you to fall on us afresh. Will you lead us into truth? Will you reveal who God is to us? Jesus, the Father, yourself. Help us to see you, God, for who you really are. Our hearts are open. God, we know this is a journey, that it takes a lifetime, but it's one we want to take with you.